to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. We're working our way through 2 Corinthians, and to do that this morning, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians first. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and then we'll move to our passage this morning. The promises of God are found in Jesus Christ. Are, are there, are the promises of God find their promise or their answer in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to see that Paul had previously written to them of his intention to visit the church of Corinth. He had spent 18 months building that church up, lifting it up, beginning it, planting it, and pouring his life into it. And in that last letter, he says, I intend to visit you. And in first chapter 16, verse 5, we see that intention. For he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may be able to help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. So Paul was desirous of spending some time with them. It had been a while since he had visited them. He had heard some good things, he had heard some bad things, and he wanted to go and spend some time with them. The Corinthians were expecting him to come for an extended visit. They were desirous to see them. This was their father in Christ. This is the one who had, who had given his life and given much of his time and energy to building up that church. Not only that, <coughs> excuse me, is they expected to help support him financially. They could supply his needs and his travels and his desire and their desire to help, as we shall see later, his desire to help the church of Jerusalem that was undergoing a massive um, economic problem with some famine and such. Now this was important to them in the fact that they were able to give money to him. For Paul, as we saw this as we studied 1 Corinthians last year, is that Paul's main, main standard of operating procedure is that when he was planning a church, when he was working for a church, he did not accept any monies from them. He did not accept any help from them. Many times he would be working, he would do it by his own hands, and he would accept money from others, but not from them. And as we go through Corinthians, and you'll see later in his second letter, this was actually an issue for the Corinthians. They wanted to give to Paul's ministry and to help them, but he would not let them. So that was a, a struggle for them. Though at this time he says, I will accept a gift from you. So they were looking forward for an extended visit and for finally him being able to, or being able to help him financially. However, Paul's change in travel plans brought into questions his sincerity and his integrity in their mind. You see, Paul was not able to come as he intended to do. And then you see, he says at the ending of, the, of verse 7, he says, if the Lord permits. However, they did not take that in consideration. They were questioning, is Paul a man of his word? He said he would come, but he did not. 
Does he truly care about us? Does he love another church more than us? Why does not Paul come and visit us? Well, in our pastor today, Paul is going to give a response to the negative campaign that has been brewing against him in that church for not following through on his intentions. And with that, I'll ask you to take your passage or your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For now, we'll see Paul's response to what's been going on behind the scenes. And just as a matter of review, for those who might have not been here earlier for this, is this letter is in response to some troubling things that are happening. Paul and the church of Corinth is having some troubles and problems, and Paul went there to visit and was so humiliated by their, by their treatment of him that he made a hasty retreat. And so there's some there that are trying to attack Paul, and this First Corinthians, is, or Second Corinthians, excuse me, has been kind of a defense of Paul and his ministry. And in it, some have been seeing Paul must not care for you because he did not follow through on his word. Have you ever had a broken promise? Anyone ever broke a promise to you? Doesn't feel good, does it? Have you ever had one that's ever hurt and just broken your heart? And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to raise your hand or. But you ever have one that's just torn you apart? I think we all have. You know what, Brian? Would you do me a favor? Would you close that just one back door right there? There's a sun coming right through, and I don't want it to hit my forehead and then blast you guys out. I know how difficult that is. I didn't buff this morning, so it's a little bit more duller than normal. But you know, promises, a broken promise can break your hearts. I know one of the things that always strikes me, even even now, you know, I'm finally, you know, for, for my family, I've shared this before, we moved my family 2,000 miles away from our grandpas and grandmas, uncles and aunts. And that was always difficult, very difficult. But now I can see that is now that Brandon and Paige have, have finally moved out, there's times I wish, I wish they would just come over and visit, you know. You want to see them. Your heart is, is you, you know, you want to see them and, and, and be with them. And, and when they're not able to come over, it just kind of breaks your heart, doesn't it? I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but that's just something I know probably next year I'll experience it even more. But, you know, there's something about promises that when they're not kept, well, all of a sudden we think of the worst thing, do we not? We jump and we, we attribute motives to where it shouldn't be attributed. Because we always think, what, the best or the worst? the worst, do we not? And in this case, this is what's happening to poor Paul. And so Paul writes this. He says in verse 15, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judah. So he says, I was going to go through Macedonia. Macedonia, by the way, is north of where he was. So he says, I'm going to come through Macedonia and visit you, stay, and then I'm going to come back up to Macedonia and then go to Judea. That was his plans. But verse 17, he says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, in verse 19, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him is always what? Yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in them. Underline that phrase, by the way. 
And as we're going to see, that's a central portion of Scripture for the Bible. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Father, we come before you for this message. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear Paul's heart this morning. What we have here is your word written by Paul through the Holy Spirit, preserved over time for our benefit. benefit. Lord, for our spiritual encouragement and exhortation, maybe even for a spiritual rebuke. So let us see this as more than just some passage, but let us see that these are the words, as your disciple says, that has the words of eternal life. So this speaks volumes to us 2,000 years later. So may your spirit speak to us freely. May the words find fertile soil. May it grow and be planted deep. May it be watered. And Lord, may we praise you for the, for the, for the uh, fruitful uh, growing of your word. Let me speak words that are edifying, that are building up. And Lord, may we all give glory for your word. And God's people said, amen. And I've got to just take a moment and bring down here. I forgot my water. So here we are now in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, 2 Corinthians, I don't know what I said, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're in verse 15. And Paul here is trying to reassure them and also make a defense of his integrity. Again, is, does my word mean anything at all? And you and I face that at all times. There are probably times if you've lived any length of time on this earth is your integrity will be called into question or you may call someone's else. And this is Paul's defense of it. And it should be ours also. The same thing that Paul relies on as we're going to go through the scripture is what you and I ought to rely on when it comes to that point. Paul starts because I was sure of this. That actually reflects back to the passage we looked at last week where Paul refers to Paul's confidence that they, the church, will boast of Paul at the day of Christ and that Paul will boast of the Corinthians. There's this confidence. And last week we spoke, and this was a good message. I, I encourage you to try to grab it and remind me to get it for you, is that last week we talked about the relationship between a pastor and his congregation. And there were some powerful words of how that works together and how each of them are to fulfill a role and and their desire to love one another and be a benefit to each other. So Paul says, because of the boast, the confidence that I have that you and I will stand together hand in hand as children of God and boast in each other, this is what I want to write to you. And he goes on to say that according to verses 15 and 16, Paul had made a plan to visit them twice in order to give them a double blessing, so that they may experience grace. Not only the fact that they could have time with Paul, but also they could experience the grace of giving to Paul. You know, that's one reason why we do things like Operation uh, Christmas Child, why we do the Deacon's Fund, why we give you an opportunity to give. It's a means of grace, of sharing with others what God has given to you. A little bit later, we're going to be doing communion, which is another means of grace where we receive from what uh, f- receive from God the blessings and the promises of his redemption. He says, I want to give you that, and he wants to give him a double blessing. He was going to cross the Asian Sea to Corinth on his way to Macedonia. 
and then come back by Corinth. This was his plan, and they heard about it. He had wrote about it. But then something had happened that made him change his mind. And we'll go more detail of that next week. But as we see, many times his plans have the best laid plans, always something goes wrong. Is that not the case? You ever made a plan, this is what I'm going to do, and then something happens. Well, Paul just had some things that happened that he was not able to get through. And evidently, the rumor starts to circulate that Paul's heart is divided. You can imagine those people who were, who were the gossips of the church of Corinth. Oh, Paul must love Ephesus more than he loves us. He spent two years there. Or why is Paul going to Macedonia again? Wasn't he just there? Why doesn't he come and spend more time here? You can almost hear a little bit of that bitterness going on. Yes, he does love them and he wants to see them and be a blessing and be blessed by them. But no, maybe not as much as he loves his own convenience. If Paul truly loved us, he'd be here, they might say. But he answers passionately in verse 17 and 18 that that's not the case. It's not the case that it's not that he doesn't love him. It's not that his heart is divided. It's not that things just got out of control, but the fact he says, was I vacillating? In other words, he's bringing attention and he asks some rhetorical questions. Or you think I'm double-minded? Do you think I make my plans like a worldly man, ready to say yes and no at once? Do you think I, I don't know what I'm saying, or do you think I would intentionally set out to hurt you? Why is it that we always think that? That when we're hurt by somebody, we think they're doing it intentionally. Why is it think that we always have the wrong motivations? But Paul says that's not the case. Think about this, and this is a little bit of rebuke. He says, look at my life, look at my ministry. In what ways have I ever acted like that? Your motivation, your attribution of my motivations is an error. See, Paul is saying, I am not in the habit of making empty promises and oaths. In other words, Paul is saying, I lived out my life, I live out my ministry, I make my decisions following the commands of Christ and Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 33, we see the words of Jesus where he said, don't perform or don't swear falsely. Don't take an oath, he says. He says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Don't be someone who vacillates between yes and no. Don't make oaths and empty promises that you cannot make. That was the Jewish problem when they would use, I swear by, you know, we do the same thing. I swear on my mother's grave. You know, I swear to God, I swear on a stock, stack of Bibles or my favorite Scout's Honor. Is that Scout's Honor? Is that it? Something like that. You know, we use these phrases. But God says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In James chapter 5, the brother of Jesus said, he says, he says above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any old, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, be a man of integrity. It's kind of what Paul, or, uh, Matt, or Matt was reading earlier for us in Psalms 26. David says, I'm walking in my integrity based on your faithfulness, based on your word. So let, let not somebody condemn you for your integrity. Maybe if you're here today and if your integrity is under attack, maybe you need to look. Have you been someone who says, yes, yes, no, no? Well, if not, well, if you have, then you probably have a reason to be called into question. 
But God says, no, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, be men and women of integrity. Let me tell you, if you're a parent today, be a person of integrity. Your children will very easily figure out what type of character you have when you become a person who's yes, yes, no, no. You know what I mean? The same place at work. Be a person who says their word means something. When you shake on it, that actually means you're, going, you're a person of your word. Now what's interesting here is Paul is trying to answer their questions. And the first thing he kind of answers, look at me, have I been someone who's been a yes, yes, no, no type of guy? Have I been an indecisive, double-minded person? But he's not going to answer his integrity with excuses. He's not saying, oh, well, you know, the weather was bad or the ship was in time or I ran out of money or anything of that nature. He doesn't use excuses. That's usually what we do, right? When we break our promises or when our integrity is into question. But he doesn't use excuses. He uses something that's interesting, and that's going to be the meat of our message this morning. He doesn't answer his questions about his integrity with excuses, but he points them, interestingly, to the theological doctrine of God. In other words, he says, I want to bring into into this conversation a, a doctrine about God or some truths about God. And that's where we are today. I want to share with you four points about God that can help you and I with our integrity. The first point that Paul makes is that God is faithful. Amen? Let me try that again. God is faithful. Okay, you can say amen, you can say hallelujah, you can say oh me. But you know what? When a statement like that comes, we ought to say something. It ought to stir within us whether it's true. Have you experienced a faithful God? Or have you experienced a faithless God? One who doesn't keep his promises. The one of the Bible, the one that we should experience, the one that expresses himself to us is one who is faithful. As he says, as surely as God is faithful, it's a point. There's no discussion. It's surely. Everyone knows this. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Moses, writing through the Holy Spirit, says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Obviously rhetorical questions that bring out, no, of course not. He is a faithful God. What he says he will do. What he's planned will come to pass. God is faithful. Deuteronomy brings up the same topic where he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Here's something that Paul wants them to remember, and I think it's important for us, is we have a faithful God. That's who he is. He's a faithful, faithful God. The second point, point two, is not only is God faithful, but God's faithfulness guarantees Paul's word to them. As he says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has been has not been yes and no. For in verse 19 he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, 
Silvanus, Timothy, and I. Silvanus is just another name for Silas. You might remember him from Acts. He says, the three of us, we preach to you. And we preach to you Jesus Christ. And it was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. In other words, Paul points to him and says, our word was not based on who we are and based on what we do, but the word of Jesus Christ was based in who God is. And the word that we gave you was not our word, it was not our testimony, but it was the one that we have received from Jesus himself. So God's faithfulness guarantees Paul's word to them. In other words, if God is a faithful God, then the word he gives them is one that can be trusted. And this word involves more than just his travel plans. It includes the teaching of Christ that he had shared with them. 1 Corinthians, that we looked at last year, was rich with much wisdom from God. And we could imagine all the teaching as Paul was there for 18 months sharing with them the word of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, I serve a faithful God. And the God is faithful guarantees that what I'm teaching you is faithful also. Which leads us to the third point. And that point is that God's faithfulness is found in Christ. That God's faithfulness is found in Christ. Look at verse 20. He says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him we utter our amen to God for His glory. And I had you underline that phrase. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. For what we must understand that God is faithful. And because His feast faithful, His word is faithful. And as you go through Scripture, you'll see many times that the Word of God is filled with promises of God. And God is a God of faithfulness, of integrity. What He's promised will come true. But there are many who would say, well, is the promise true? Is the promises to Abraham, to Moses, and to Israel, are those promises fulfilled or are they still just empty promises? There were some that were complaining there in the New Testament. Where is the Lord? You said he was going to come, but he hasn't arrived yet. This was 30 years after Jesus had had returned to heaven. And what does Peter say? The Lord is what? Not slack concerning his promises. In other words, the promises that are found in Scripture can be trusted. Do you believe that? If there's anything that you could bank your life on, it's on the Word of God. So what we see here is a great promise here, and we're just going to spend a minute camping on this. For Paul, instead of making excuses for his travel plans, is pointing them back to something that's important for you and I to understand. That God is faithful. That the Word of God is faithful. And we can believe that because all the promises of God have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no outstanding debt on the promises of God. And I want to share with you uh, four ways in which that's done. Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to turn very quickly to these verses. So I encourage you to do your best. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. And 
And we're not going to look at all the promises. There's quite a few. But we're going to look at some major ones there. In Genesis chapter 12, we find one of the most major promises found in Scripture. It was to Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As you look at Israel, the children of, of, of Israel, the Hebrew children, you may say, in what way are they being blessed today? In what way are they being a blessing to all the nations? And, and really, in reality, Israel is hated by most nations, are they not? The only thing standing between them is, is many times is the United States and, and Britain. But yet God says you're looking at the promise wrong. For Jesus is God's yes to the promise to Abraham that his children or his people will be a blessing to the nations. For we see in, in Matthew, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, at Jesus' uh, birth, is that he becomes that light to the Gentiles. He becomes the yes to that promise. So is the promise that Abraham's children would be a blessing to the nations, it is fulfilled. It's not something we need to look forward to any longer. Jesus is the yes to that promise. He is to say, paid in full, answer completed. For in it, Jesus is the one who's the blessing to the nations. How so? The fact that he's the one who says, I will be drawn up and draw all men to me. He's the one that says, every knee and every tongue of every tribe will confess that I am God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, we see another promise. And this is a promise to Moses. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And once again, we could say there were many prophets. There was Daniel. There was Elijah, there was Nathan, there was Elisha, there was Jeremiah, there was Isaiah. And as we read them, we see that the children of Israel did not listen to them. And because of their failure to listen to those prophets, they were kicked out of their country. They were pushed out. They were, they were destroyed in many ways. And we see that effect even today. So are we to look for another prophet? No. For the Bible tells us that Jesus is God's yes to the promise to Moses of that prophet. We see that Jesus himself says, I am that prophet, and my people will hear me. We see that great promise is going to be fulfilled completely when we, in Romans chapter 11, when all of Israel will be saved and brought together. Not only that, is that the children of God now spread out not just in the ethnic national, national kingdom, but now it's in the kingdom of all of creation. As God is bringing in people from the other sheep, from the other flock, or bringing in sheep from the other flock. For once again, God's promises are found in Jesus Christ. The third promise that I want to see is that of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Turn to that very quickly. 2 Samuel chapter 7, or just write it down. I'm going to go on. He's talking to David. This is near the end of David's reign. And obviously David has many children to choose from, to be his king, to follow him in his footsteps. His eyes and hearts are focusing on Solomon, 
But God gives him this promise. He says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you and you shall and who shall come from your body, excuse me, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your throne, verse 16, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, I would say to you today, if you try to find David's throne, you would find it empty. For there is no ancestor or descendant of David on the throne of David. It doesn't exist. But yet, once again, I would declare to you that the Bible says that Jesus is God's yes to the promise of David. See, he is that royal seed who is from David's throne and who sets on it. And he's building a kingdom that is greater than David's, that is greater even than Solomon. For Jesus is the answer to that promise. Then lastly, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.30, we see that Jesus is God's yes to the promise to redeem us. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. For he says, And because of him, Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. What is Paul trying to say here? And remember, the problem is his integrity once again is under attack because of his travel plans. He was not able to do what he thought he was going to do. And instead of using the myriad of excuses to defend his integrity, he points to the integrity of God. He says, look at here, God is faithful. I'm a minister of him, and the word that he has given me is faithful. You can trust in it. And you can trust in it because all the promises of God are found in the one that we speak of. It's kind of different attack. In other words, Paul says, it's not my integrity, it's not my faithfulness that I'm trying to defend here. See, I'm trying to defend the one that I serve. You see, the Corinthian church affirmed the promises of Christ or the promises of God of finding in Jesus. The Corinthian church affirmed their faith in God by saying the words that you and I say also. We say amen. Look at what he says there. And uh, go back in uh, verse, um, I'm sorry, let me go back here. He says, and surely our God is faithful. Um, I'm sorry, where, where am I at here? In verse uh, 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that, he, that we utter our amen to God. What does amen mean? It simply means to confirm, to agree, to say surely. He says every time you say amen, you are recognizing and proclaiming the faithfulness of God. You proclaim his faithfulness. And the same way I need you to bring to attack or bring into bear, that's who I serve. What Paul is trying to convey to the Corinthian church in this passage is that you and I, them, especially here speaking to the Corinthian church, but here in our, in our day and age, is that we must trust God. We must trust 
God's message. And we must trust his messenger. See, they are thinking it as just as an issue of Paul and his travel plans and his itinerary. But Paul says, listen, I serve a mighty God. I serve a faithful God. I give a faithful message. The message is faithful because it's based on the one who is faithful, Jesus Christ. You yourself proclaim his faithfulness when you stand together and say, Amen. Surely it is so. We agree. We, we confirm it. And he's pointing him and says, I'm a minister of Christ. And like David says, I walk in my integrity in Psalms 26, but he says, I walk in your faithfulness. What is it that you and I need to understand? Is that our integrity would not be attacked if we walk in the faithfulness of God. And Paul says, I'm not vacillating between one or the other. I'm not trying to say yes, yes, or no, no. I'm not trying to walk in the worldly standard. Paul says, I'm trying to serve a God who is faithful. And he's the one who directs our paths. He is sovereign over all things, even our travel plans. Whatever may happen, happens because I'm doing what he's called me to do. The fourth point that Paul is trying out is that God's faithfulness continues today. And this is where he's trying to bring them. He says, do you not understand that God is faithful? Do you not understand that his word is faithful because all the promises of God are completed and find their yes in Jesus? You say amen to it. You say, but you believe it. But then you need to recognize that his faithfulness continues today. In other words, he's saying, you need to recognize that we are all in this together. And that's where we find in verse 21 and verse 22 where he says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And he has anointed us and who has put us in his seal or put his seal on us and giving us his spirit and in our hearts as a guarantee. I love this passage of scripture. You see the Trinity very clearly here. As it's God the Father who establishes, he establishes in Christ and he's given us us the Spirit. You see the working of the Trinity. But in it, you'll see that pronoun, us. He's saying we are in this together. It's not you, the church, versus me. And it's not me versus you. You need to recognize, even though we may be separated by time and by space, you need to recognize that we are in ministry together. We are part of God's goal here and purpose. We serve and work together. And when you call into question my integrity, you're calling into question what God is doing here. So instead of judging me by worldly standards, seek what it is that God is doing, is what he's bringing them to. We see this as he says, we're all together. We're in it together. And he brings them to the faithfulness in the fact that God says that he has established us together. In other words, we're based on a good foundation. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that there's no other foundation that can be laid than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. He establishes, he says to stand firm. And so he's trying to bring them into the thing that God has done with them together. He's trying to repair the breach in their relationship. 
Not only has God established them and given them both the same foundation, they stand firm on it together, but he says that God has also anointed us. He's commissioned us. Anointed in the scriptures was something that was done to kings and the high priest and for people of special purpose. And God says, you've been uh, commissioned, you've been set apart for a special purpose. Together we've done that. And to attack my integrity would impunge your own. For we stand together in this case. Not only has God established and anointed us, but he also has sealed us. In Ephesians 4.30, we see that through the Spirit. He indicates ownership. You might think in a mind, some old show that you might have watched, where the kings at that time, or prophets, or anyone, they would write something of that had some matters of legality or something that was important, and then they would pour some wax on it, and they would take their ring, and they would place it in that wax and sealed it with their signet ring, meaning that it's sealed, it belongs, that's who it is. In the same way, God says, He has sealed us with His Spirit. He's put a seal on us. We belong to Him. And not only that, not only has He established us together, not only has He anointed us together and sealed us, but we together are His deposit. He's given us the deposit. He's given us the Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit is our guarantee. Together we recognize that we are believers together. As we gather here this morning, how do we know another brother and sister in Christ? Well, the Spirit ought to be that guarantee that we are, that He lives within us, that He communes within us, and that we walk together. You see, the Spirit show God, shows God's work on Paul's life and ministry. And the Corinthians are the proof of God's faithfulness and is proof of His faithfulness of Paul's ministry. Paul's not governed, is governed by the Spirit, not by worldly standards. And he says, I'm not that. Why are, you, why, are you, why are you judging me by worldly standards? Why are you questioning a man of God in which we stand together? Why are you jumping to those conclusions? Why are you listening to those types of, the, that type of negative campaign against me? Do you not know that when you do so, you attack even yourself? For we are in this together. You've confirmed my faithfulness by saying amen to the things that God has shared among us. In other words, if I were to say anything for you and I today, is that you and I ought to understand that God's people ought to strive for authenticity with each other. I should strive to be authentic and transparent with you and in the same way as the relationship, you should be also. I will tell you there will be times when my integrity will be called into question. There will be times that my yes will not be yes and my no will not be no. As a, as a human, uh, uh, frail uh, human, I will fail. We've experienced that many times. And in the same way, you will fail me. There will be times you'll fail your elders, you'll fail uh, yourselves. But instead of questioning each other's motivation and then judging each other's integrity, we need to realize that God has called us to work together. And our yes should be yes and our no should be no. In other words, our faithfulness is not based on our own ability, but that in which Christ enables us to be. 
So what should you and I do? We need to quit walking under our own power and recognize that God has established us. He's anointed us. He's sealed us. And he's given us a great deposit. Instead of challenging and, 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 and um, not challenging, but instead of uh, um, criticizing each other, God has called us to something much higher and much greater. Not only should we strive for authenticity with each other, but we should strive to live together with integrity based on God's faithfulness. And that's what I come to you as your pastor, your elder, as Randy and I. I pray that you would give us the grace to be able to make mistakes. I pray that you would give us the grace to be humbly able to come before you and say, yes, we've had made that mistakes. Would you forgive us? And in the same way, I pray that God will give us the grace to treat you in the same way. Challenging and encouraging each other to grow, but to be our faithful even as God is faithful. Here's one thing I'm sure of. On this earth, Mike, all of us are going to fail. But I know this one thing. One day, all of us who claim Jesus Christ as Savior will stand before God in His throne room and His work of completing us and making us in the image of God will be complete. Amen? And no longer will we have to ever question or ever have to uh, work with infallible humans. I look forward to that day. But in this day, let us count on the faithfulness of God. For He is the one who is truly faithful. The rest, let us give grace. Let us encourage one another. And let us realize that we serve together. Would you join me in that? Father, you're a good God. You're a faithful God. Show that in a mighty way to those who may not realize that this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Paul. And we thank you, Lord, as we go through, we're going to see that Paul and the Corinthians finally come to peace and reconciliation. And I pray that that would be the relationship that we have here as a church that we don't hold out grudges. Lord, that we encourage and lift one another up, that we share the times in which our integrity may be called into question, but may that lead us to, to, to humble repentance and forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.